Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Mike Shope and the Bulldog. Guys, I could not believe what I was hearing. Like, this is on our, our ra- local radio station. This crap is being played. I couldn't even believe the words that I was listening to. It's Mike Shope. As a mom, it infuriated me. Like, why is this on here? And the Bulldog. Like, I started to get tears in my eyes. It upset me so much. And my 11-year-old daughter listens to this radio station. Uh Uh-uh. Never again will she listen to this. It's Mike Shope. I've got to collect myself because this is... This is what our youth is being subjected to. And the Bulldog. This is on our radio station that our kids are listening to. I am so upset. This is ridiculous. It's Mike Shope and the Bulldog. I cannot believe this stuff is on the radio. I just don't even understand why they think that's okay. On WGR. My daughter will never listen to that radio station again, ever. I am shaking. I cannot believe that filth is on there. Sports Radio 550. This, I don't know for sure, but I'm just assuming this has to be in regards to last night's uh, hockey game. Um, I, I kind of think that lady, you know, uh, the, the the 11-year-old girl is going to rush to that whatever radio station that is as soon, as soon as she's old enough to do it, now that she knows that mom won't allow it. Um, I, here, here. So... Here are the Bills with it all on the line this weekend and in coming weeks. One false step, and it may be over. Bringing on all the questions a lot of you were ready for a month ago. What happens this offseason? What happens to Sean McDermott? What happens to Stephon Diggs? What happens to Micah Hyde? What happens to Brandon Bean? One false move, and we're almost maybe to that point. Without that false move, we could be talking about the first Super Bowl appearance for this team, win for this franchise. It just could be everything. And it's all right now. But I can't believe it because of what that is, what that amounts to, the magnitude of it for Buffalo sports. But I have to start with the Sabres. I just do. Last Wednesday, this it shouldn't take me very long to say everything I want to say about it. And if you want to say something, you can come on in and do that. Um, 
Because if I go more than five to ten minutes on the Sabres, I'm going to sound like the most miserable person walking the earth. There's huge football this weekend that has people feeling optimistic and very excited. People are glued to this, this bill season, and what's at stake. And it's the holidays, and I don't really want to sound miserable, like the most miserable person walking the earth. Moreover, I don't want to be miserable, and the Sabres make me miserable, and they probably make you miserable. And we have to we have to acknowledge that, I think. I have to acknowledge that. I want to. I don't have... Last Wednesday, I was off. I haven't talked to Bulldog since maybe the day before that, the day of that Columbus game last week. Good that Columbus is coming back, by the way. Revenge game. Um, I, we, we were on the air together that day. That's the last time I've spoken to him. I know because I saw it on Twitter and my friends told me that the next day after that loss to the Blue Jackets, he went in on the Sabres. And, I mean, there's no one better uh, to do that. He, he, like many of you, and like I once was, he watches every game, you know, passionately and intimately. And losses like that and this the compounding misery of the Sabres really takes its toll. And there are times when, you know, it's it's often, this is more me, like you want to block it out because it upsets you. Like, really, why embrace anything that upsets you, you know, more often than not? Why live with it? Why not just leave it? And that can be serious things and that can be sports things. So he has never lost his passion for it. And fans, I mean, I think this... Of course this is true. Like fans feel his his pain and his uh, frustration and anger about this incredible record of futility that the Sabres cannot apparently escape. And so I'm not I'm not bulldog anymore. I never was. Like he and I were alike in how we grew up more sort of in love, if you will, with the Sabres and the Bills. Lo- really, really, really like the Bills, not love the Bills, but it's a different kind of level when it came to hockey and the Sabres. We both like that, but he, I've never been able to you know, reach his apex when it comes to this. And in the last few years, and I've always felt it you know, uh, necessary to admit it, I just kind of checked out. Because I just didn't believe in it, you know. I just, I just kind of, I've checked out. I'm not the fan he is, and I mean, I'm somebody. I don't know. I'm not looking for credit, but in 2005-06, I just gotten married, and I've had a press pass. We all get press passes to all their games, uh, but I bought season tickets anyway because I felt like the fan experience and to the Bills at that time. But I felt like the fan experience was important, and want, I wanted to, I wanted to be invested financially and emotionally the way many of you are. And that ended for me like four or five years ago when I just couldn't. I mean, I just didn't care about it enough to to do that. I just thought that they were so inept. The organization was so top down, top mostly, just so inept that, I mean, I just can't give them thousands of dollars a year anymore until maybe, uh, maybe, I've always thought this, and I've told my closest friends this, people that I shared the tickets with, um, this might take me more than five minutes, actually, uh, that I could get back into it, but I've always kind of doubted that I would want to. What, once you've lost that feeling, and I'm in my 50s now, and the players are still in their early 20s, 
and that never changes. And I just never thought, ha- have not thought that I would sort of feel the same way I did 06, 07. And of course, as a, as a young person before that, where like, you know, when the, that, those two glorious years with the Sabres that of course ended in awful misery themselves, you know, the players were my age and I just like, I felt really like I could relate to them, um, in the same way fans do. And so, um, I just don't expect to be that way anymore, but you know, maybe a team like that comes along and and that changes, but my goodness, how this season has gone after last year, last year. So this is 12 years in a row, which is absolutely insane for an NHL team to not be able to make the playoffs, which half the teams do, as you probably know, it's like the lowest percentage ever in the NHL. Incredible. Last year, was nice in how with not really many expectations, at least externally, they provided hope and, you know, entertainment. It was not only a much improved team, but it was a fun team. And it gave all of us reason, I think justifiable reason to believe that this would be like this was the be- a new beginning for the Sabres, that the misery had ended. They were much improved. They were right on the cusp of the playoffs, and they're super young. And I will tell you that in addition to that, for me, I felt almost a blind trust in the GM and his associates because of what I had learned about their process and how much numbers – mattered how it finally felt like the Sabres weren't just giving lip service to statistics and analytics like okay finally maybe the Sabres are not a team anymore that just rolls Ristolainen out for 500 games in a row because he's big like maybe it's different and now I mean I guess you can overreact game to game but I guess I just want to preface this with that point um, I just back at the at the beginning of the phew, indifference, and if you are more like Bulldog, more relate to him than me in this, um, just outrage. Don Granado apparently is out of ideas, uh, except for the bad ones. You know, speaking to the analytics point today, he gave the obligatory. Well, you can't really know what the numbers are really telling you because sometimes they can be misleading. This is what, in the however many years it's been since the numbers got respect from like the first NHL team to do so, this is what the coaches say when they don't give a damn about it. And now he's talking like that. This after last night when he made a comment in the postgame about how his team grinded at the beginning until they fell behind. They fell behind four minutes into the game. How many shifts is that? Does everybody, is everybody on the ice by that point? I mean, what kind of even, how meaningful is that observation in, in the slightest? And and this is what, he's just resorting to the, the platitudes and the meaningless statements that coaches like Ralph Kruger made all the time when they really didn't have it. If you're talking... You've heard me say this before, maybe. I flatter myself to think that you would care. But 
as for as many hockey analysts who will tell you that a losing team isn't trying hard enough, you'll never hear that from me. Because that is a tremendous leap. It is a statement about the collective, like everybody's not trying hard enough. Everybody doesn't care. And it is so easy to misinterpret effort, um, what looks like a lack of effort, for what can often be just unsure of what I'm supposed to do here. And that's the half step or tenth of a step that Boston needs to beat me down to the puck or something. Just not trusting where I'm supposed to go, where I'm supposed to be, who's up there, is he going to be where I expect him to be. That's a good team from a bad team in the National Hockey League. It's ridiculous to me to hear people talk about how a losing team necessarily isn't trying hard enough. And when you're the coach of a team that's losing all the time, that's what they say. And think about it. If Granado is going to say publicly that his team needs to work harder, well, how does that make him look good? I mean, that's not an out. I know that coaches never want to name names and be specific. Nobody ever wants to be specific, you know, publicly about who's doing their job or who isn't. Well, it's, but they won't be public about who isn't. <laughs> they'll, tell, they'll tell you everybody's doing Make it specific, and they'll tell you that the guy's doing great. But team-wise, because it's safe and no one can really poke holes in you, they can't get you to say the other thing. So, well, you know, we, we need to grind. Grind. This team, by the way, didn't get better last year because of effort. Or were the same people telling you that they don't try hard enough now? Were they telling you last year that they tried harder? And that's why they were good? They got good. Or Sabres good, last year good, still not playoff good, with talent and skill and precision. And it was a breath of fresh air that this coach, replacing the, just the worst coach, with he leaned into offense. And not to mention his dumb analytics point today or useless grind point from last night, Yesterday morning, he's talking about, you know, again, paraphrasing, we realized that what we were trying to get the team to do early in the season was having negative effects, so now we're going to try to address that. Whose plan was that? Like, what is the coach really there for? I mean, who's Don Granado? So, what are the Sabres going to do? Either... Make the coaching change that I would say seems like absolutely called for. Hockey teams do it when they're good. Or do nothing. Those are the two choices, right? You've got good young players locked up for many years. That isn't changeable. Every fan knows that. Every team tells you that. You can't fire the players. So what are they going to do? This or nothing? What are they going to do? People seem to assume nothing, and I understand why. Because for the better part of a decade, there are times when you just wonder if the lights are on. I I choose, well, all right, so maybe, I've, of course, I would say this. Why did I have this kind of blind faith in the front office about their player moves and what they did or didn't do at goalie? 
because I just bought into that the people who they were bringing in to make decisions were the right way. And I just, you know, maybe I'm wrong here, but I refuse to believe that the quants in the Sabres front office, I use that word, by the way, quants as a compliment, because that's what all teams should have in their front office. I mean, if not 100% of their front office. I refuse to believe that those guys signed off on Gergensen's for like the 10th year in a row or more. I just like the symbolism of that. I re- just, but the numbers are the point. I refuse to believe that they signed off on on Gergensen's and Kyle Oposo and Jost, who's the top line center last night and today is waived. Like, what kind of an operation is this? You've you've had twelve years in a row without even a sniff of the playoffs, and a a big reason for that. It's kind of been everything at different times, but a big reason for that is that your depth forwards get run over. And this front office brings them all back? I don't know. I mean, the rest is up to you. I I just, I'm being as completely transparent as I can. Uh, I just, I feel the pain of the fan base and the despair and the, the um, concession that you might be inclined to make. It's like, it's just never going to be good. It's just never going to get better. I just the coaching change. See the the thing that people will say on the other side of that coin is that well, of course you would say, of course a critic would say, change the coach. That's what everybody says when you know your team is losing. Well, yeah, <laughs> just guilty. What are you going to do instead? You, this coach is in the matter of a, a span of like twenty four hours talking about how they're. The philosophy for this season proved incorrect, that they're not working hard enough. The oldest trope in the hockey coach book for a losing team, because I don't know, like they, th- they think somehow they maybe are less responsible for that than the players, because it's not a system point or something. And then now it's, uh, well, the numbers really don't tell you. He's got Darlene glued to Samuelson, and the, like, the bubblegum stats on that are horrendous. You can't pin that on analytics. And it's Rasmus Dahlin. Put him out there alone. Just, it's going so badly. And Granado doesn't seem to even notice the way he's talking. I want to say, like, I was as, you know, impressed with how he talked and what he seemed to, to be able to get from this super young team uh last year like everybody was but i don't care like there's i was this way at times about lindy and he's like an icon and he'd won a lot of games before he got to a point at different times two or maybe three different times in his lengthy span as a sabers coach like due respect it's the national hockey league and again good teams fire coaches so what is this going to be like are we this season (laughs) This season has felt over to me for like at least a month. And I know it's early, and I know what last year's team's record was, which, by the way, didn't make it either. Like, I just know those things, but teams in this position usually do not make this heroic run to the playoffs against all odds. I'm an odds guy, and the odds for this team to clear 90 points 
let alone what probably they will need for the playoffs, are very long. Already, it's not New Year's, very long. Here I am, it just feels like necessary on the Sabres with this huge Bills game and the playoffs and everything else. And the, the, the easy cliche always was that hockey season doesn't start until football season is over. And that means for the Buffalo Sabres for the span of 10 plus years that hockey season never actually started because most of these 12 years were over before the Bill season was over. And this is another one. So I guess maybe, I don't know, they'll do nothing or they'll do the, the coaching move that they'll probably, if that happens, you know, all the players will tell you it's really their fault. And um, I just, the wheels on the bus, right? Here's Brian. Hi, Brian. Hey, Mike. So I had kind of two thoughts about the Sabres. The first one is, you know, the core of their team is mostly guys who are picked in the appropriate spots for the draft. I do think they got a little unlucky with both times they've been number one overall. It was a defenseman, and it wasn't a game-changing forward or center. But in general, Cousins was picked about in the range that he was supposed to have been picked, middle stat. You can go down the list, Quinn um, and then Benson. So, to me, you're getting the appropriate talent value. It's not like they've gone way off the rails there where you're picking guys a half round too early. So that's kind of perplexing to me is why they're not any better, which kind of maybe leads maybe contradictory to the second point is, you know, I read when uh, COVID happened that the Sabres got rid of all their scouts or at least a good chunk of them to save money and, you know, punt on that. And I guess my thought from that point is the, the closed loop on that is did they ever hire a full scouting department back, either those scouts or different scouts, and are they operating at, at full capacity there? Or is it like a Cincinnati Bengals situation where you read in Chad Johnson's book that, yeah, they, they've, they've run the lowest amount of scouts in the league for how many years? So it gets back to that kind of commitment point. Well, um, with, the, with the team, you know, um, my opinion on that might be different than others. Of course, the Sabres are not ap- operating at peak front office. Have they ever like they're probably not. But I just have never been like the ad scouts guy. We've gone around on the roller coaster up and down, up and down on that. Relatively speaking, over the last 20 years, 25, 50, I don't know. And um, I think you can get there with fewer eye test guys and more of a commitment to data. And I had convinced myself that the Sabres agreed with that, which gives them the excuse, like baseball teams don't spend in the front office like they should, I guess you could say, quote, should, because they can lean on the data and say, well, this is we, this, this can save us money, but you don't do it if you're doing it right in the name of saving money. You do, it, you do everything in the name of optimal decisions. And I think an NHL team can be perfectly fine you know, not having a full whatever, the, the most scouts, but you just have to commit to it. And my, I, I guess it's a guess, but my take on it is that they're just not committed to it, at least when it comes to the lineup. And what the coach had to say today kind of just sort of nails that in for me. He's just not here for it, I guess. I don't know. You wanted to think maybe there was the symbiosis and everybody sort of saw it the same way, but but I do think he's out of stuff to say. I mean, his team is is often getting drubbed. They're, they they see it seems rare when they're not 
behind early when you're not going to the locker room down two nothing. Uh, it just what's what's left, and he's scrambling. He's talking about effort. He's talking about oh yeah, we should play more offense. So he's talking about numbers. I can't really trust them. All the things that you might say when you really don't have the answers. And so what do I do with that? I mean, just what's what's left to say? 803-0550 for your calls. We'll do a lot of football. Sal will be on at 4. And uh, Greg Wyshynski. So Greg Wyshynski on hockey wrote a great piece about the first Winter Classic, of course, in Buffalo. And um, with the Sabres in this state, we had another guest cancel. Like, let's call Greg. So we'll talk to him. Thanks for listening. I don't want to sound miserable, but I do want to be honest. And when it comes to the Sabres, how could you not be just fed up? Lines are open for you. This is Mike Shope on WGR. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.